0: Good morning and Christian greetings to each one of you. Good to see you here. Good to see a number of visitors here with us this morning. Before I go into the message, I just want to uh, briefly uh, share our plans for the next couple of weeks. Um, thought about mentioning this during share time and I certainly covet your prayers, but more so over the next uh, week than, than necessarily this morning. And on uh, Friday, we're planning to travel to Indiana. Um, I am scheduled to have preaching services at Woodlawn Sunday morning through Wednesday night there. Uh, An added bonus is that my mom had a way to Indiana about 10 days ago, so she's there right now and plans to stay until after the meeting, so on Saturday I will get to spend some time with my mom while I'm there in Indiana, and so that's a real treat. Following the meetings in Indiana through Wednesday night, on Thursday and Friday, then I'm scheduled to be at an ADC planning committee meeting in Holmes County, Ohio. And so I'll be there Thursday and Friday, then we hope to return home on Saturday. But um, there's a lot going on here over the next uh, week, so I, or a couple weeks, so I appreciate your prayers as you think about that. <clears throat> know, many uh, popular foods uh, have their own, if you will call it, secret ingredient, and secret might be a bit of a misnomer, maybe unusual ingredient, might be a better way of, of putting it, but whether it's Auntie Anne's pretzels or Coca-Cola or KFC chicken or your favorite barbecue sauce or a house salad dressing, there's usually something that gives it that unique Uh, flavor or that distinctive flavor. For A1 steak sauce, uh, what kind of makes it distinctive, now it's on the list of ingredients but most people don't know this, is that there's raisins in A1 steak sauce. Uh, And that's what gives it that distinctive flavor. Over the years, Marcus has enjoyed baking with Grandma Schrock, baking donuts. And whenever they mix up their delicious homemade donuts, they follow a recipe, but then they say they have a secret ingredient. That's not on the recipe. And uh, they like to keep that a secret. If you ask them, they say it's a secret. Uh, So um, I guess that's the way it is. Several years ago, we had the privilege of trying Cincinnati chili for the first time. I was told that the secret ingredient in this chili was cocoa. Now, I am not one that likes chocolate, so I was kind of skeptical about even trying it, but I did try it, and it was delicious, and you couldn't taste the chocolate, but they say that's what gives it that distinctive flavor. I also believe that there is a secret ingredient for disciples of Jesus Christ, and this secret ingredient, or unusual ingredient maybe, it gives Christianity a pleasant aroma and a distinctive and intriguing flavor, and so I've titled this morning's message uh, simply "The Secret Ingredient." <clears throat> the evening before Jesus was arrested, tortured, and crucified, ultimately, he washed his disciples' feet. And gave a final discourse to his disciples. We find that in John chapter 13 through 17. Fascinating to read through that and think about that these things were happening or being taught simply hours before Jesus' death. These were his final words, if you will. His final instructions and in teaching to this group of 12 disciples or 11 disciples prior to his the, the horrible death and, uh, that he was facing within the next several hours. After Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he made an interesting statement, which is a text for me this morning. I urge you to turn to John 13, uh, verses 33 to 35. And this is what this says. It says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Verse 34 has been referred to as the 11th commandment um, in the fact that he says a new commandment and so but why does Jesus call this a new commandment is this really something new what's so new about this commandment hasn't Jesus emphasized love in his previous teachings earlier in Jesus ministry we have this exchange in Matthew 22 and one of them a lawyer asked him a question to test him teacher Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is very clear that the greatest commandment is to love God. But the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? As the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, makes clear, our neighbor is those people that we come in contact with any day, it's it's anyone and everyone we interact with on a day-to-day basis, whether it's the cashier at the grocery store, or the bank teller, or the mechanic fixing our car, or the waiter at a restaurant. These are all neighbors. And we are taught that we are to show love to them, like even as we do ourselves. But then, there's a, in this first part of Matthew, uh, there's another example in the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus makes another outrageous statement about loving others. When he says in Matthew 5.43, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So love your enemies. So what is Jesus communicating with these three very similar yet distinctly different commands that he has given? Love your enemies, love your neighbor, love one another. I want to look at that a little bit <clears throat> this morning. So what? what is it? Uh, that is so unique about these. Well, love your enemies is quite specific and narrow. We have only so many enemies in this world, yet we're told we are to love them. Our enemies are those individuals that are intent on destroying us. The assumption here is that enemies, our enemies are unbelievers. They are not people, they're not our brothers and sisters. And we are to love those people who want to physically hurt us and perhaps even kill us. They openly oppose and attack who we are or something that we believe in or did or didn't do. But, but that's the kind of person that we're talking about when we're talking about loving our enemies. So it's a very narrow focus. Love your neighbor is then the other extreme. It's very broad and general and in a real sense it just simply includes everyone. Um, We are to love the people we come in contact with no matter who they are or what they want. We are simply to love them. We are to demonstrate love to anyone and everyone that we come in contact with. Whether it's once in a lifetime Or someone that we interact with on a regular basis. And that includes believers and unbelievers. Love one another, however, is different than that. Given the context of where this is given, I believe that this is the most specific, if you will. Jesus is instructing his disciples to love those closest to us the fellow disciples of Jesus Christ, those that are in the body of Christ, the local church. And so the evening before his death here, Jesus explicitly tells his closest disciples, his closest friends, that he is giving them a new commandment and that they should love each other. Didn't they already know that? They were told, love your neighbor. Um, and so forth. Why is it that he is being so explicit here? I believe the reason is the disciples demonstrated, and we know, that sometimes it is the hardest to love those that we know best. Those that we're closest to, even our family members. Sometimes they're the hardest people for us to really love. The disciples squabbled. They argued. They tried to position themselves above the others. They knew each other's flaws and weaknesses. They spent a lot of time together in the prior three years. So why did Jesus make it a point to tell the disciples several hours before his arrest and crucifixion very clearly, very explicitly, that they need to love each other? I think we see several reasons here. So first of all, three times here love one another in these two verses a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another then he gives two reasons here as well why it is so important that these disciples love each other first of all Jesus states That our love for each other will be the basis for unbelievers. I'm sorry. It's the basis that he's saying you are to love each other just as I have loved you. And so he's taking this love to a whole new level. And especially since Jesus is within hours of giving his life on the cross. And um, for for his disciples, but also for all humanity. And he's calling his disciples to be that kind of, have that kind of sacrificial love for each other. What's interesting is the disciples don't even yet fully understand what Jesus means by this statement at this point, because it's before his death. But they're about to find out. But then he goes on and says that we're to, stay, uh, that we're to love each other, and this is the basis by which unbelievers will know that we are Christians all people will know that you are Jesus disciples if you love one another true believers and true disciples love for other believers and i would say specifically within the local church is a powerful witness to the power uh, of the gospel is a power shows the power of the gospel and it was truly supernatural, a miracle when you think about it, that Matthew, a tax collector, and Peter the zealot, who today would probably be described an activist in a kind way and terrorist maybe a more accurate way, and Peter, a hot-headed fisherman, how they got along in a group. I mean, just think about it. These were three of the disciples that were closest to Jesus. And the fact that they could actually love each other was nothing short of supernatural. Later on, in Colossians, we read that there are Jews and Greeks, barbarians and Scythians, bond and free, slave and free, all worshiping together. And at that time, that was an unimaginable group of people that actually loved each other because... Under normal circumstances, they hated each other, or they did not get along, but it's because of their love for each other that unbelievers noticed, and they knew there was something supernatural going on here, something that is not explainable. So love one another is a command from the king of kings, and I believe it is the secret ingredient for a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yes, we're to love our enemies. Yes, we're to love our neighbors. But it's especially critical that we love each other. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are family. And to truly love those closest to us, those that we know best, those that know us best, can be very challenging at times. But as believers, as disciples, each one of us has been adopted into God's family, and now we're siblings. We're together whether... We like it or not, we're together, we're a family, and God has put each one of us where he wants for a reason. We're members of the body of Christ, with Jesus as our head, and thinking about this in terms of the analogy of a body, each body part has an impact on the other body parts, and they all have to be working together for the body to be healthy. Members have to love each other. Our la- love or lack thereof within the church is going to be noticed and directly affects our testimony toward unbelievers. Loving each other isn't always easy. And I think that we, would, uh, we know that from personal experience. Even though we're believers, even though we're disciples, we're still human and we still see each other imperfections. And again, the disciples were a very diverse and very opinionated group of men. And they knew each other very well after three years with Jesus. but And they did not relate to each other particularly well. They wanted recognition. They wanted status. They argued with each other. They certainly didn't show love for each other uh, all the time. But even the closest family members don't get Don't always go along. Jesus is simply emphasizing the importance of his disciples, the believers, including us today, go out of our way to love each other, even to the point of laying down our lives for each other, just like Christ did. Again, just reading this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way the heathen, the unbelievers, those caught up in false religions know that we are Christians is based on how they see us express love toward each other, how we relate to each other. And I would say that they have no basis or that they lack adequate understanding to know whether our doctrines are correct and true, what our view of scripture is, or even what our theology is, but they do have the ability and they will notice how we love each other. And when they see that this diverse group of people genuinely love each other, they know They have the awareness that that a love between such a diverse group of people shows something supernatural going on. It catches their attention, and they know that love is humanly impossible. So they must be disciples of Jesus. They may not say it in that way, but they will think, how is that possible? It will pique their curiosity. They have something different. They know And it applies to all people, then and now. God has given non-Christians the ability to observe, to pay attention, and to notice to the demonstrated love among Christians as a way of drawing them in, as a way of interesting them in what is going on here then what is disturbing with that is our lack of love keeps that from happening. It inhibits non-Christians from noticing something different about us believers. All too frequently, we hear Christians, that Christians, and I'm using that as a general term, are hypocritical and that unbelievers want nothing to do with Christianity. And I wonder how much of that comes because there's a lack of love among believers. According to this statement that Jesus made to the disciples here, he seems to be saying that if there's a lack of love in the Christian church family, unbelievers will see nothing different and assume that Christianity must be hollow. So this command, this secret ingredient to love one another uh, is not only taught by Jesus here, hours before his crucifixion, but it's reiterated multiple times throughout the New Testament. And what's interesting is that it is taught by other, by the apostle Paul in particular and John as well, beyond more often than the, the others, the commands of loving our enemies, or loving our neighbors, but it is something that is referred to again and again. And I believe the reason is this is the most challenging command of all three. Loving our be- fellow believers is emphasized um, in throughout the epistles. Romans twelve ten, love one another with brotherly affection. Again, that family language. It's to be the way we would love our siblings. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 John 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And verse chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Then there's also some verses that specific... that show the special significance of interacting with those closest to us. In Galatians 6.10, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, that includes everyone, but then and especially to those that are of the household of faith. There is something extra important about interacting in this way uh, with our fellow believers. And then in 1 Thessalonians 3, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And so this is not simply a matter of achieving. But as pointed out here, Paul points out, is that, that the Lord will continue to increase that love and that we abound in love. This is something that we continue to develop over time. And then later in chap- John chapter 15, he also reemphasizes this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And then in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Then in chapter 17, where Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer, praying for the oneness of all believers. That's not, the oneness can happen apart from genuine love for each other. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. The pronouns can cause you to kind of now think, now who is he referring to? And replacing a couple of the pronouns in part of this uh, says this, that Christians may all be one, just as you, Father, are in Jesus, and Jesus in the Father, that Christians may also be in the triune God, so that the world may believe that the Father has sent Jesus. When there is genuine love between believers, the character of God will be revealed in that, and there's going to be a oneness, and there's going to be a unity, and there is a, it will draw people to him. It will, uh, it will allow them to believe, and he continues this in Colossians 3, or this thought, The importance of this is a part of the character of God. Then put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one have a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, everything else just mentioned, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that is the key in holding all of these things together. These other things are are uh, only partial attempts compared to what this idea of putting on love which holds all of this together. And then in Ephesians 4, I therefore prisoner of the Lord urge you that you walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. It is impossible for disciples of Jesus to have genuine unity and holiness apart from the sacrificial love for each other. When this holiness and unity reflects the very character of the triune God, something even more powerful happens. And this goes back to the prayer in John 17. Jesus is praying for this unity for the body of Christ for one reason, so that the world may believe. There is to be love between believers so that the world may know that we're Christians. And the reason for this unity and uh, wholeness is holiness in the body of Christ, is so that the world may believe that the Father sent Jesus. Jesus' words to his disciples here before his death is more than just encouraging. It's motivating and it's convicting. We should love because it's a command. There are inherent benefits to believers when a church body loves each other. First of all, it just simply feels good to know that there's genuine love within a congregation. However, we don't love for what we get out of doing so. We don't love because it feels good. We love because it's what Jesus commanded, because it's the right thing to do, and it is the secret ingredient in the church. When we love, it empowers the Holy Spirit to work supernaturally among unbelievers that is otherwise impossible. When we love, it empowers the Holy Spirit to work supernaturally among unbelievers that is otherwise impossible. What is easy to overlook is the implications of not loving, as we should. It has a far greater negative impact than just on me and a couple of other difficult-to-get-along-with-people of which we're going to find in every church. The world is watching us. They're paying attention. And the unbelievers around us are looking. How do these people act? And when we refuse to love our brother or sister, we are inhibiting these unbelievers from knowing that we're Christians and that we live our lives sacrificially for our church family. I have been challenged by um, some of Francis Schaeffer's writings, and he wrote a booklet, I believe it was in the 60s, called The Mark of the Christian, where he's really describing this whole idea uh, that I've called the secret ingredient, but the idea of loving each other. And here's a quote from, uh, from that booklet. We cannot expect the world to believe that the Father sent the Son, that Jesus' claims are true and that Christianity is true unless the world sees some reality of the oneness of true Christians the responsibility to love fellow believers requires power beyond myself but we do have a responsibility to accurately represent the kingdom of god to an unbelieving world we to truly love the church, to truly love our church family requires supernatural strength. And it's only through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we can genuinely love each other the way that Jesus commanded. And we dishonor the kingdom of God and Jesus himself every time we refuse to love a fellow member in Christ's body. When you look around the church landscape, the apparent lack of love among believers is downright disturbing. All too frequently, believers will part ways from other believers rather than resolving differences with love. The many denominations that we see around the world are a direct result of differences among believers that could not be resolved in a loving way. What would the world and the church look like if believers really loved each other as commanded by Jesus? It's easy to assume or conclude that we do love each other. Uh, After all, we know it's a command and we want to obey, but to truly love one another involves so much more than a superficial word. It has to be observable by unbelievers. And again, Francis Schaeffer quote uh, a little bit later, he says, unless true Christians show observable love to each other, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen. And as I've listened, or as I've thought about this, and uh, I've been convicted, is my love for my brothers and sisters obvious to unbelievers around me? Does our lack of observable love stifle the message of the gospel? And I would say probably more than we want to admit, uh, but there's also hope. There's certainly some practical ways that we can show observable love for our brothers and sisters, especially those in our local body, but also believers around us. And I would say that we respond quite well in love in times of crisis and emergency that are very observable. You know, whether it's an Amish barn raising or um, a medical aid sharing or natural disasters, we're quick to show up and show our love. But it's in that day-to-day, day-in and day-out interaction that it's not as obvious, it's not as observable. We're to love one another by being patient with others. Not everyone thinks about things the same way we do, and that's okay. Some people take a lot longer to accomplish something than we think is necessary. We learn and mature differently. Be willing to take the time to help others along the way. Be gracious and long-suffering, looking for ways to encourage and build up. We love one another by confessing and saying, I'm sorry, when we don't show love. We should pay close attention to our actions and reactions, especially toward our brothers and sisters. We're all going to fail to love as we should at times, but let's be willing to admit it when we fail. A Christian's lack for family members, Whether it be our sharp tongue or our mistreatment of a brother and sister, our unforgiveness when wronged, these are the things that the world sees and wants nothing to do with it. Confessing or saying I'm sorry is a simple act, but it's also actually difficult to do. We're to confess the wrongdoing, we're to acknowledge that we have failed. We're also to love one another by forgiving those who have wronged us. Forgive even though they may never acknowledge wrongdoing. Forgive before being asked to forgive. Forgive as Jesus forgave us. We are to let go. We are to relinquish control. We're to trust God. I will make a caveat here while there is an individual responsibility to forgive others there is also times when criminal justice is demanded and perpetrators must be held accountable however the commands to love one another and even to love our enemies still holds true even in those situations love one another by paying the price that's required regardless Jesus gave his life for us. Let's love our adopted siblings regardless of the cost. To do so is gonna have ramifications. We will suffer loss, but let's do so willingly. We must do whatever must be done at whatever cost to show that love. Love one another when differences are the greatest. Believers will have differences How do we love each other with those differences? The greater the differences, the more important and the more difficult it will be to show observable love. We're not looking for a victory. Um, We're looking for a solution. We're looking for a win-win. We're looking to salvage a relationship rather than uh, having the final say. And lastly, we're to love one another without compromising holiness. Our loving each other is to reflect the character of God. It is to point unbelievers to Him. Today, the term love has been hijacked and cheapened to not only accept but endorse all kinds of sinful behavior. That is not love that desecrates the character of God. Our love is to reflect the love and character of God himself. So the character of God includes his holiness, and we must never excuse sin in the name of love. And Paul reminded that. That was true in the early church. Paul reminded the Corinthian church of that. In 1 Corinthians 5, he scolds them for not disciplining a man blatantly sinning within their church. But then he comes back in 2 Corinthians 2 and he scolds the same church for not showing love to him after he had repented. The familiar love chapter enumerates a number of painfully practical characteristics of love and how we should treat each other within the family of God. Love is patient and kind. Um, Love does not envy or boast. is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is irritable. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices at the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We can't fake genuine love for each other. We're commanded to love one another. At the same time, if it isn't genuine love, that's going to be apparent to unbelievers as well. They're going to notice. So the secret ingredient for believers is to genuinely love one another. When individual believers do so, unbelievers will notice there's something unique about us. And they're going to know that we are believers, that we're followers of Jesus. And as that love spreads in our church and churches, the unity and holiness of God will be reflected so that the world may believe who Jesus is. That's powerful and it's sobering considering how the lack of love among believers, I believe, has contributed to the increasing secularism of our society because the Christians have not been showing that light. Let's look for observable ways to love one another, and that's true today, it's true tomorrow, it's true every single day, so that the Holy Spirit takes this in secret ingredient and creates a sweet aroma, an appetite, and a spiritual hunger among the world of unbelievers around us to know that we are Christians and that they believe who Jesus is. Let's stand together for a closing prayer. Father, thank you for this new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples just before his death. I pray that you would instill in each of our hearts the incredible importance that you have put on loving each other loving our fellow believers loving our brothers and sisters in the church family that you have put us and how doing so or the lack of it has a direct impact on unbelievers seeing you Just ask that you would convict us where we have failed you, empower us with your Holy Spirit to truly show love for one another each and every day as we interact with each other. Cultivate in us a deeper and deeper appreciation and love for each other that will continue to increase and abound. For your honor and your glory. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.